This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's go together this morning, if you would, into the New Testament to the 8th chapter of the gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter number 8. We'll begin reading in verse number 27, Mark chapter number 8, and verse number 27. So we've come to this chapter, we have noted that the disciples are slow learners. If you were here last week, you... you uh, Heard that message, slow learners. The disciples found themselves in, in chapter 8. They, they find themselves in a precarious situation, but not one that they had not been in before. There's a multitude there that is listening to Jesus, and Jesus has a desire to feed them. And the disciples in verse 4 answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Uh, we're amazed at that question because we know that we just read a few chapters ago how that he fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. And now here they are with a, a crowd of 4,000 to feed, and uh, it would have seemed pretty obvious how they were going to do it, but they uh, expressed here, they demonstrated their forgetfulness and their faithlessness. And how many times do we find ourselves facing circumstances uh, that we have faced before and that God has proven himself to be true and faithful in. And yet when we're in those, those situations and those circumstances, we are so forgetful and so faithless to trust that the God who did it before is able to do it again. And uh, so in, in, in verse number 15, after the Lord uh, proved himself mighty, in verse 15, feeding them, feeding the multitude, he, he then dealt with the unbelieving Pharisees who he had no time for uh, as they scoffed at him and desired that he uh, march to the beat of their drum. In verse 17, Jesus is warning his disciples. <coughs> He's warning them, excuse me, <coughs> of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And... Uh, the disciples were unable to see what Jesus was saying to them. They, they could not lift their, their thoughts and elevate their minds above the temporal and the physical, the material, uh, to the eternal and the spiritual. And Jesus, uh, he reproves them in verse 17. Uh, the Bible said, when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not, neither understand have ye your heart yet hardened? Look at verse 18. Having eyes, see ye not. Having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? And he goes on to explain to them how that he had fed the multitude and the baskets that they took up, reminding them of his power and his provision. In verse 21, he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? 
So they prove themselves to be slow learners. In verse number 22, he restores the blind man's sight. At first, his sight is restored, but his sight is not full. He sees uh, cloudy. His his vision is clouded. His, His vision is foggy. Jesus touches him yet again, and then the man sees clearly. And Jesus thus demonstrated that though many have spiritual vision, it is clouded. And we need to continue in the presence of Jesus. We need to continue to look to Jesus and allow Jesus to touch us yet again so that we might see clearly. And this is the process that is taking place in the lives of the disciples. Then we came, of course, to verse 27, and we see Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's the exam that he is bringing these slow learners. uh, he's, He's bringing them up. He's preparing them for this exam. And Peter and the disciples pass the exam when they say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And from there, these slow learners enter in to a master's level class. And we're going to look at that this morning. And I've entitled the message, The Master's Class. The Master being Jesus. (laughs) The Master's Class on Discipleship. And so let's take this class together this morning, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto them, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words. In this adulterous and sinful generation, Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. We're noting this thought, the master's class on discipleship. These slow learners are advancing in their learning. And may God help us to be ever-growing and learning more and more of Him each day. I want you to notice some things in this passage. We'll see them. First of all, we'll see the disciples' confession. We've looked at that. We won't spend a lot of time here, but we'll look at it just briefly again. Uh, 
Then secondly, the disciples' correction. The Lord Jesus in this class is going to correct their way of thinking. And then finally, we'll note the disciples' compensation. The disciples' compensation. Let's look together at the disciples' confession. Verse 27, uh, this confession serves, of course, for us and as the readers of, of gospel, uh, the readers of the gospel of Mark, and it served the disciples as a very pivotal point in their lives, and it's a very pivotal point in this gospel because all that has come before, everything that we've studied, everything that we've looked at previous to this in this gospel according to Mark has pointed us and brought us, led us to this, this moment. It has, it has brought us to this question. And from here, it will point us forward. And so it's a very pivotal question. And we see it here again in verse 27, Jesus with his disciples. And by the way, uh, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And we understand that we live in a world that has lots of opinions about Jesus. Uh, many who believe that he is a teacher, of course, the answer that the disciples give is that many say that you are a prophet. And no doubt Jesus was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet, wasn't he? Uh, he? He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the Anointed One. And they confused at large in, in Israel, they confused his identity. They did not have clarity here about who he was. And we live in a world today uh, where people are confused about the identity of Jesus. In fact, we live in a world today where many are trying to reshape who Jesus is and what Jesus taught. Uh, we understand, as we've, as we've kept abreast, perhaps, maybe not, and it might not be a bad thing if you haven't, kept abreast of the political uh, uh, events of our week and, and the debates that have taken place and how that the candidates who reject God's word and God's truth openly speak about what Christianity should uh, adhere to and, how, uh, and the teachings of Christianity. But I want you to understand that the Christianity that they're referring to is not the Christianity of the Bible. And the Christ that they refer to is a Christ of their own imagination and their own, uh, their own uh, way of thinking, uh, it is a God shaped in their image, but it is not the Christ of the Bible. And there are many who would say Jesus was a teacher and he was a, a prophet and, and he teaches us a lot of things about God and, and he is an example that we should all follow. And, and that is what many perhaps in, in this day, as we look in Mark chapter 8, thought as well. The question comes more pointedly in verse number 29. And really, this is the important question. It's an important question for you. It's a personal question. In the midst of all of the opinions about who he was and all the sayings of who he was and all the schools of thought, he asked the question, verse 29, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. But we read in another place, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the question. 
This is the confession that you must make if you are going to be a disciple. There is a requirement for this class, this master's class on discipleship. And the requirement is, is that you confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you confess him for who he is, the Son of God. That you confess to him who you are, a sinner with no hope, in need of salvation, bound in your sin for the place called hell, separated from God for all eternity, in a place of torment, in a place of fire. And friend, unless we have acknowledged who we are and who he is, unless we have openly confessed him, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, then we do not belong to him and he does not belong to us. You see, if we're going to be disciples, learners, of the Lord Jesus. That's what the word disciple means, a learner, a follower, an adherent to his teachings. If we're going to be his child and his disciple, then we must come to this point where we answer the question, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. That means he is the Savior. He is the sovereign of our lives. Now, let me ask you a question. The reality of the answer to that question Is it being lived out in our lives daily? In other words, when you wake up in the morning, do you recognize that you have a king? Do you recognize that you have a savior? Do you recognize that you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you? Do you understand that he has the right to rule in your life? And are you, as his child, submitted to, to his sovereignty, is Christ the ruler of your life? You see, because by implication when we answer the question, but whom say ye that I am? Well, I I doubt in this congregation we would find many who would say, well, (laughs) we don't believe he's the son of God. In fact, the reason we're here is because we do. But let me ask you, do we live that truth out in our daily life? He's the Son of God. In other words, he has the right to rule in my life. He's my king. He's my Lord. And so we see the disciples' confession. Have you answered the question? Have you made the confession? If not, friend, I want to encourage you. I, I want, to, I want to, to admonish you to make that confession today. Number two, I want you to see the disciples' correction. You know, we all come to class with our own thoughts about how things ought to be. And so did the disciples. Because now they've made the confession. Here's the confession. We believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been looking for. But as they come into class, they're coming with their own preconceived notions. They're coming with a knowledge of the Scripture, but they have not completely searched the Scripture. They're looking for a Messiah who will deliver them from Rome. They're looking for a Messiah who will, who will uh, overthrow the Roman Empire and establish, uh, again, the sovereignty of Israel and who will rule throughout the world. That's the Messiah they're looking for. By the way, can I say this to you? That Messiah is coming again, and he will do all of those things. 
Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he will establish his rule upon this earth for a thousand years. And so I'm going to tell you, I I don't believe we ought to be polluting. I don't believe we we ought to mistreat the earth. I think we ought to be good stewards. But you don't have to worry the earth's not going to end in 12 years because of global warming. This earth will end when, after a thousand years and God judges the world. And the Bible says the, 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 the earth and the elements will, will melt away with a fervent heat. You see, I know the king and he's coming again and he will rule and reign. But what they misunderstood is that he was not coming the first time to establish his rule as the sovereign. He was coming the first time to suffer and die as the Savior. And their way of thinking had to be corrected. Notice what happens in verse 31. And he began immediately now. After the confession, the Lord said, you're ready for class. You've you've made the confession. You've, You've fulfilled the requirements. Now it's time to move on. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So immediately after, he's, after the confession has been made, he says, okay, fellas, now you need to understand my path and my purpose. My path is a path of suffering, and my purpose is to suffer, bleed, and die on the cross of Calvary to redeem mankind from their sin. And he said this in verse 32 openly. In other words, he said it not only in front of the disciples, but anybody who was there. Now imagine, here you are, one of the disciples, you've confessed openly that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're saying, yes, I believe that. That's what I believe. And we're ready now for the Messiah to establish his rule and overthrow Rome and deliver us from this oppression. We're thinking about all the wonderful prophecies that are in the Old Testament being fulfilled. We're ready for all of that to happen. And Jesus immediately says, hey, fellas, here's what's going to happen now. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again. Peter said, wait a minute, that's not the message we expected. And how in the world do you expect all these people to follow you if you're calling them to follow a Savior, a Messiah, who's going to die? (coughs) Excuse me, I'm very sorry. Notice notice verse uh, 32, and he's... He spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter takes the Lord, takes hold of the Lord, and he begins to to rebuke him. He begins to say, Lord, this is not the message. This is not the message that people are going to be drawn to. This is not the message that the world's going to accept. I mean, Lord, you've got to understand here, this is a very pivotal time. I mean, this thing could go really well, but that's not the message we want to hear. And by the way, isn't that the response of so many today? We like Jesus to a certain extent as long as he tells us what we want to hear. But when he starts talking to us about suffering and death and resurrection, we don't like that. Now, Peter rebukes him. Notice verse 33. But when he had turned and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Wow. I mean, just a moment ago, wasn't Peter at the heights? Hey, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Hey, you've come to finally see the light, Peter. God has revealed to you who I am. I mean, he was up on the mountain. But within a moment, he is down in the depths, right? How many of you know that's true in our lives? One moment, God by his Spirit speaking to us. The next moment, we're filled with thoughts of the flesh and uh, of the devil. And he says, he says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Notice what he says. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You know, there's a choice we have to make. What, what appeals to us? What, what, what is savory to us? What is appetizing to us? What is pleasing to us? The things of men or the things of God? Now, the things that will be of God, what, well, what are those things? Well, in this context, it's suffering and death and humility. The things that be of men, oh, it's not suffering, it's comfort. It's not death, it's a crown, it's life. It's, it's not humility, it's exaltation. That is the path that they were seeking to travel. In fact, remember when the mother of James and John said, hey, are you going to let my boys sit on the right hand of your kingdom? You remember when the disciples are marching behind Jesus, they're, they're walking behind Jesus, and, and they're, they're grumbling among themselves, and they're wondering who among them is going to be the greatest. Isn't that the way of humanity? Isn't that the way of flesh? That, that we sort of look at things in light of how it will advance us and how good things will be for us and how comfortable we're going to be and how, how, uh, how prosperous we're going to be and all the things that we're going to enjoy. And the Lord is correcting their way of thinking here. He's correcting their way. Notice what he says in, in verse number 34. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So you want to be a disciple? You want to be a follower of Jesus? Let me tell you, it's no easy road. He gives them three requirements here. Number one, deny himself. Deny himself. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound popular, does it? That doesn't sound like anything we're hearing in our culture today, deny ourselves. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have rights. Don't you understand? I have rights. Who are you to violate my rights? Who are you, who are you to get in the way of my happiness? What about me? Jesus said, it's not about you. It's about my work. It's not the things that are of men. It is the things that are of God which are are significant and important and lasting. And if you, as my disciple, want to follow me, then you have to learn to deny yourself. That's, that's a correction that we need to make, isn't it? Notice the second thing he said. Deny, he must deny himself. It, you mean I, I can't have everything I want? It's not about my happiness? No, it's not. I'm shocked. Well, get ready because there's more. Let him deny himself and take up his, what's the next word, church? Cross. What is the cross? 
Hey, that's the last thing a Jew wanted to see. You know why? Because that's a curse to them. Take up my cross. You, you, you think I want to take up a cross? Do you know what a cross was? It's the Roman symbol of execution. It means death. You, you, mean, you mean you want me to take up my cross? You want me to deny myself? Now you want me to die completely to myself? And Jesus said, yes. And Paul said, look with me if you would please in Galatians chapter 2. Would you turn there? Galatians chapter number 2. In verse number 20, Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, Paul is speaking of this truth. For I am, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, wait a minute. I want you to understand something. I am dead. <laughs> you see, when Jesus died on the cross, he made the payment for your sin and mine. When Jesus died on the cross, positionally, those of us who believe in Jesus, we died. The old man died on the cross with him. When Jesus rose again, uh, we, we who believe in the Lord Jesus, positionally, in the eyes of God, we rose with him. And now when God views us, he does not view us as the wicked sinners that we once were, but he views us as the sanctified children of God saved by the blood of Jesus with the righteousness of Jesus imputed on our account. In other words, the righteousness of Jesus is now my record. And so I'm no longer alive. I'm dead. I died on the cross with Jesus. And I am now alive but it's not me. It's him living in me. It's him living through me. This is the crucified life. This is learning to take up my cross, dying to self. Dying to self. Dying to all the things that I want and all the things that I think I need and learning to live under Jesus and allowing him to live through me. And then, and only then, will I experience the true abundant life that Jesus offers. Deny himself, take up his cross. The third thing, follow me. Follow him. That's not hard to do, is it? Uh, recently we were, we were driving uh, on vacation and, and uh, there were, you know, with our crowd it takes more than one vehicle. There were three of us, three vehicles going to get everybody there time we take all our stuff, you know, you'd think we were leaving for two months instead of a week. And, and all the things and, that we have to take. And, and uh, all you got to do, all you got to do is follow the leader. That's all you got to do. But you know what happens, don't you? Other cars weave in and out and traffic. And, and then along the way, you get a different agenda. You know, I, I need to stop and maybe use the restroom or I need to stop and get a cup of coffee, and the other folks aren't ready for that. And uh, we all just sort of get off and divided, and, 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 and it's hard to follow people, isn't it? In that light, in that vein, sometimes as we follow Jesus with all the traffic of this world and, and all the thoughts of our 
our, our carnal flesh. We have to learn to deny ourselves, to die to our opinions, to die to our preferences, to die to self and just keep our eyes on Jesus and follow him and live as he desires for us to live. And the Lord said, I, I need to correct your thinking here. I need to correct your thinking. This life is not, uh, this is not a road to glory of self. This is a road uh, to the cross. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going, we're going to experience some suffering. And we must learn to die to ourselves. And we must be faithful to follow him. The disciples' confession. And then the disciples' correction. I want you to see the last thing. The disciples' compensation. You see, in this class, the Lord Jesus is not, he's not teaching this course so that they'll be informed. He is teaching this course so they will come to a point of decision, so they will come to a verdict. Now, they've already come to one verdict, right? Jesus, he's the Son of God. But making that decision leads us and compels us to follow on into the second one, and that is to follow him. And so the Lord is calling them to discipleship. And as he's calling them, he's giving them the information. He is reasoning with them, asking them to evaluate the outcome of the decisions that were in front of them. Now, decision number one, the decision Jesus was calling them to make, was to follow him. Decision number two was the decision that many made, and that was to turn away from him and follow him no more. And the Lord is speaking to those who are making that decision, and he is giving them logic. He is reasoning with them, asking them to evaluate the outcome of that decision. Notice in verse 35, for whosoever will save, notice the word save his life, shall lose. Notice the word lose. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose, there's that word again, his life for my sake and the gospels of the same shall save it. So we see these words, save and lose. Then we look in verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, notice the word gain there, notice the word profit there, and lose his own soul? Verse 37, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So we see these words that the Lord Jesus uses here. The word save, the word lose, the word profit, the word gain, and the word exchange. These are words that we can understand, right? Savings, loss, profit, gain, exchange. They're the words of, of, of someone who is in uh, the trading business, someone who is in any type of business. And why are they in the business? They're in the business to make a profit. They're in the business to, to gain. And, and to do so, they make exchanges. They make exchanges. And so the Lord is dealing with them here, calling them to a decision and asking them to honestly evaluate the decision that he has presented to them. Now, there are three things here. Number one, he begins with a paradoxical statement. He begins with a paradoxical statement. Now, we'll find out what the word paradoxical means if we don't already. Uh, you can Google it, by the way, but I wouldn't encourage you to do that right now. Uh, 
that, that would be a distraction, right? You would see a Facebook notification, and then you'd be carried away with Aunt Susie's pictures on vacation, and you'd forget all about the message. So just keep those phones put away, all right? Let's look at this paradoxical statement. Notice it in verse 30, verse 35. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. In other words, if I'm willing to give my life to God, if, if I'm willing to give up the rights to my life, if, if I'm willing to give up my desires and my affections and my plans and, and my purposes, if I'm willing to do that, then the Bible says I'll save my life. But if I'm trying to save, if I'm trying to protect all my interests, if I'm trying to protect all my opinions, if, if I'm trying to protect all my plans and, and see all of my desires come to pass, if I'm trying to save all of that, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to lose it. Jim Elliott, the missionary who along with a number of his comrades uh, went to Ecuador. And when they landed on the shores of Ecuador, they were met by a group of cannibals who killed them. It was a tragic story, but God has greatly used it over the years. Jim Elliott penned these words, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool. He gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You say, well, Jim Elliott and his friends, I mean, you know, they had a promising life before them, and here they, they went down to Ecuador to reach those cannibals. I mean, they should have known better, and look what happened. They lost their life. Yes, they did lose their life, but what did they gain? An incorruptible inheritance that fadeth not away in the heavens for you and I. You see, Jim Elliott said, I, if I give up my life, it's okay because I, I'm going to lose it anyway. My life's going to come to an end at some point. If I lose it on behalf of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel, I'm gaining something that this world could never give me. I'm gaining an eternity in his presence. You see, there's a paradoxical statement. I think Joseph lived out that paradox, didn't he? God put some dreams in the heart of Joseph. Joseph, I'm going to use you. I'm going to advance you, and, and I'm going to use you to deliver your family, and, and they're going to honor you. But that's not how it started, is it? How did it start? They hated him. And they didn't honor him. They sold him into slavery. And he wasn't advancing. He was going down, first as a slave, then as a prisoner. You see, his entire life is a paradox, but here's what happened. Joseph, who submitted to the will of God, Joseph, who kept his eyes on God, Joseph, who honored God in his decisions, was one day, in just a moment, elevated out of prison and established as the second in command of all of Egypt. And he was the one who interpreted the Pharaoh's dream, and he is the one who, who delivered the plan to save the world. And one day, those brothers came before him, not knowing who he was, because they needed food and their father had sent them to Egypt because they heard there was food in Egypt and they bowed in reverence to Joseph. And the Bible says that Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed. You see, it was a paradox. It looked to be one way 
but in truth it was another. These two things seem to contradict, but they do not contradict. God said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you'll gain it. Are you willing to lose your life for Jesus? I'm not, I'm not saying are you willing to die, although you may be called upon to do that. Are you willing to give your life to him? He, he began with a paradoxical statement. He continued with a practical question, a very practical question. Notice it in verse 36. It's one that we should all consider as we think about what we're living for. Verse 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me ask you a question. What is more valuable than your soul? That's what the Lord is asking them to determine. When you think about your soul, understand that your soul is eternal. This world, your flesh, is temporal. It's passing. But your soul is eternal. Your life on earth is fleeting, but your life in heaven, if you make it there, after confessing Jesus as the Son of God, is everlasting. And so he's asking them a very practical question. He's reasoning with them. When you think about all the things that we're living for today, are we living with eternity's values in view or are we living as men of the earth who are just here for a short time trying to get all we can and can all we get? He continued with a practical question. Then he concluded with a powerful admonition. Notice it in verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is a call to Jesus. This is an admonition. This is a warning. This is a very stern warning. He said, if you're ashamed of me in this adulterous generation, you know where Israel was? You know where Jerusalem was? The Jews were in this moment. They were the adulterous and sinful generation. They were the generation that had played the harlot. They were the generation that had forsaken the true and the living God and turned to idols and idolatry. And the picture, the picture presented in the Old Testament is that of a harlot who has laid in the bed of many false gods. She's defiled herself. She's committed adultery. And here's what he's saying of the entire generation in that nation of that day. They are an adulterous and sinful generation, and they have no shame. They've lost their shame. By the way, haven't we lost our shame in America? We're not ashamed of anything. I heard Adrian Rogers say one time, he said, those things that they used to to sneak down Uh, Back alleys now parade themselves down main streets. We've lost our shame in our nation. We're proud of that which we should have been ashamed of and which we should be ashamed of. And here he's saying, wait a minute, in this adulterous and sinful generation, if you are ashamed of me, I don't want to be identified with Jesus. I mean, what are people going to say about me? I I don't want to be identified with him. I'm a... I'm a casual follower of Jesus. I'm a politically correct follower of Jesus. I'm a a part-time follower of Jesus. If you're ashamed of me, then I want you to understand, notice it again, 
Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know what he'll say to many? They'll come before him and they'll say, Oh, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And we, in your name, we did wonderful works. You know, we tried to make the world a better place. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, if you're too proud to humble yourself and bow before Jesus today, if you're ashamed of Jesus today, if you reject him today, he will reject you tomorrow. And so the Lord calls them to a life of discipleship. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to answer the call? May God help us as we go through the master's class of discipleship. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.